Would you compliment them and encourage them? Paul does. He mentions them by name to encourage them. So these are just, these are just some of the things that, that Paul talks about here in this, this short but incredibly powerful letter. Some say that this is, 2 Timothy is Paul's most, most personal letter because of the fact that he's speaking about these relationships that are important to him. And he's speaking of hardships and battles and, and the hard things that he's endured. He talks about his devotion to the Lord and he speaks of his desperate longing for heaven. In other words, he just bears his soul in this book. And it's powerful. It's so great. He's going to mention some things that really bring him joy and he's going to mention some things that, that really cause him to hurt. He's going to mention things you know, that, that bring him pain. And so let's look here. We had uh, three verses read, but let's just open up. 2 Timothy chapter 1, read with me beginning at verse 1. So it's 2 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus. Now let that phrase just really sink in to your ears and down into your heart. According to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. He says it this way, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure, I'm convinced, I know dwells in you as well. It seems to me that Paul, since Paul knows he won't be around much longer, he's making sure that a few things are going to be set in place. He wants to make sure that once he's gone, there's going to be others around to spread the gospel. There's going to be others around to teach the truth. That's vitally important to him. When I'm gone, there needs to be people left behind who will teach the truth. He also needs to know that there'll be someone who will carry on the mission that, that the Lord has given to take the gospel to the whole world. He knows he doesn't have much time left. He knows that death is nearing. And he wants to talk about some of these special promises from God. The life that's in Christ Jesus there in verse 1. I believe that this is one of those really deep and wide kinds of uh, phrases. It's a, it's a now and later kind of phrase. That when he speaks of the fact that it's a special thing to enjoy this promise that God has given us of having life in Christ Jesus. He means it now and later, like he would say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live right now is Christ. I enjoy the blessings of Christ now, but to die is gain. So I enjoy special things right now because of Christ, but boy, there'll be special things later because of Christ. And so he says there's, there's a life we live right now with expectations. There's a life we live right now with special blessings. But there's also a life to be enjoyed eternally with the Lord in his presence and because of him. So he opens this letter to Timothy, emphasizing those kinds of things. It, it's special to live right here, right now for the Lord. 
because it's going to make a difference to other people eternally and to you eternally. So let's, let's just make two observations now based upon sort of trying to get into this letter and get, get ready to start familiarizing ourselves with it. What are some of the blessings that, that can be ours right now as we look forward to blessings eternally with the Lord? Well, the first one is this. I, the phrase having a clear conscience in verse 3 stands out to me. He says, it's, it's kind of strangely worded in our English translations, but he says, I thank God. The one that, that I serve, that my ancestors served. You know, my forefathers, my family tree goes back to a long line of people who, who feared God. And he says, I thank God that I can do this with a clear conscience. Paul's goal, according to Acts chapter 24, verse 16, he says, I always take pains to have a clear conscience both toward God and man. Paul's goal was to live a life where every single day he could go to bed with a clear conscience and he could wake up in the morning facing the day with a clear conscience. Because while he knows he's imperfect, while he knows he's frail and weak and a sinner, he also knows I've done all that I can do to glorify the Lord and I leave the rest up to his grace and mercy. And so he could go to sleep at night with a clear conscience for God and man. I've not willingly cheated anyone. I've not willingly lied to anyone. I've not willingly hurt anyone. I'm not willingly or knowingly snubbed or in any kind of way damaged the, the name and glory of the Lord. And so he lived with a clear conscience. I always take great pains to have a clear conscience with God and men. A clear conscience is special and it's needed. And I hope it's something that you and I can think through for a few minutes here saying a clear conscience is something that I definitely want but you also got to know this a clear conscience isn't enough a clear conscience isn't enough you know why because there's some people who have a clear conscience and yet it's it's an ignorant clear conscience because our conscience has to be trained and informed paul himself acts 23 verse 1 he said i've lived my entire life before god in all good conscience now, this is the same guy who had been getting special permission from the authorities to get shackles and chains and whips and go kick in doors of Christians and drag them kicking and screaming into places of torture. He's the one that stood when Stephen was murdered, assenting to his murder. And he did all those things. You did those things with a clear conscience? Yeah, because it was an ignorant conscience. It was a misinformed conscience. He thought Jesus was an imposter. He thought Jesus was a liar. He thought Jesus was a blasphemer. And so he was doing things on purpose with a clear conscience, but doing things on purpose to injure Jesus in his church. Now, just because he had a clear conscience didn't make it okay. He had to stop. He had to turn his life around. And so he said, I've been doing these things with a clear conscience. So a, a clear conscience is needed, but it's not sufficient. He admitted in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, that he was a, a blasphemer and a persecutor and even an enemy of the Lord. So some people live with a clear conscience because they just, they think they're right. They think they're sincerely right, but they're sincerely wrong. So a clear conscience needed, but not enough. But there's also this, there's some who have a clear conscience because they just don't care. They don't care to know the truth. They don't care to uh, come to know and change and, and be guided by the truth of God's word. They just happily go on living selfishly, living for themselves and not think about anyone else. 
But then there's the group, the category that probably fits more of us. The people in this room probably fit this category. Consciences that, that weigh on us. Carrying around guilt. Carrying around shame. Having these, these loads, these burdens on our backs that are causing us to be stooped over because it seems so heavy and we can't get them off. We don't have the clear conscience that we so desperately need. And so here's, just for really quick, I want to run through something from, from Scripture, sort of a, a plan of action, if you will, that the Lord shares with us about how to have a clear conscience. There's numerous times in Scripture that, from the pen of Paul and just the, the other apostles as well, that the Lord says, here's how to have a clear conscience. It's not all found in one place. You've got to bring the things together and tie them together. But let's start here. Go to 1 Peter 3.21. As you're turning there, let me share this idea with you uh, from Paul. In Acts 24, beginning at verse 14, he says, I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, listen to this, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, thus having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, and that there will be a resurrection both of the just and the unjust. So it starts with knowing and believing and living out the word of God. So if I know what God has shared and I believe what God has shared, I can then move in a direction of living with a clear conscience. So 1 Peter 3.21. The Bible says, baptism, which corresponds to this, and as you know, looking in the greater context of what's shared, baptism which corresponds to this, Noah's family being saved through water, Noah's family being brought to salvation, given life, given freedom on the other side of water, so baptism, which corresponds to that, now saves you. Not as the removal of dirt from the body, not, a, not taking a bath, not a removal of dirt from the body, but here's this. When you come up out of that watery grave, when you're united with Jesus Christ and His resurrection, as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection, through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is a public declaration. When you are baptized into Christ, buried with Christ and raised with Him in the power of His resurrection, this is a public declaration. You're declaring that I'm a sinner and can't save myself. And you're making this powerful commitment. Lord, I'm giving my life to You. I love You and I'm seeking to follow You from this point forward with my life. I'm making commitment to You. And then in turn, the Lord looks at us and He declares us forgiven. He declares us made alive. He declares us part of His kingdom. That's Colossians 1, 13 and 14, and Colossians 2, 12 and 13. So here's the first thing. You want to have a clear conscience? Be washed in the blood of Jesus. Anyone who's ever done it, people in this room who've been washed in the blood of Jesus, they can all testify to this, that when you come up out of that watery grave, you've got a clear conscience. Because you've just been cleansed of sin and you know it. Because you know you have submitted your will to the will of the Father. And you've been obedient to God's plan of salvation. And so when you are washed in the Lamb's blood and come up in the power of the resurrection, you know that you have a clear conscience before God. That's what 1 Peter 3.21 says. Washed, brought to the other side safely like Noah's family, and standing before the Lord in that green grass, that brand new world like Noah stood in clear conscience before God. But he keeps going. That's not the only thing he says. 
Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 speaks of bringing your sacrifices before this one who's done something that no one else can do. When we admit our sin, we acknowledge the greatness and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse, and we are re released from that guilt. And so what we're called on here to do is to be repentant. So maybe once upon a time you've been washed in the blood, but time goes by, years go by, life happens, and that darkness of the guilty conscience creeps back in. The Lord says confidently with a clear conscience, bring your sacrifices before me because I'm the one with power. I'm the one who cleanses. I'm the one who forgives. We could keep going. A lot of other things we could say. Being cons consistent. Being a hypocrite's hard. Being a hypocrite's hard. You got to remember, well, okay, now around your group, how am I supposed to act? Okay, and around your group, how am I supposed to act? Oh, and this group, how do I act? That's too hard. Just be the same person all the time. Just be the person who loves Jesus and seeks to follow him all the time. Monday, Tuesday, be the same person. Stop being a hypocrite. Paul had to bring this up. It says in Galatians chapter 2, about verses 13 and 14, that even Peter himself fell prey to this, and that sucked in Barnabas, and that sucked in others. That around the Gentiles, Peter and the others were acting a certain way, but then when these Jews would come into town, boy, they, I don't know those guys. I don't eat with them. And acted totally different around the Jews when they came in. And Paul says, I got right in his face because I said, you cannot do that. You can't live that way. That's sinful. That hypocrisy is sinful. Being consistent is a much, much, much better way to live. You don't have to live with that dark cloud of, of a guilty conscience following you around. But here's the last thing, and this is going to transition us into our second final point of the day. Not only be washed, not only be repentant, not only be consistent, but if you want to live with a clear conscience, be evangelistic. And this is what I mean by that. Tell people the truth about Jesus. The scripture even says that. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, this is the verse that is very often known as the, the golden text of apologetics. If we're going to be the kind of person who defends the existence of God and defends the deity of Jesus and defends the inspiration of Scripture, it says here in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready with an answer. Be ready to make a defense of anyone who asks about the hope that's within you, yet do it with meekness and with fear. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, live that consistent, righteous, godly kind of life that allows you to live with a clear, good conscience. So that when others accuse you, maybe of being a hypocrite, you can live with a clear conscience knowing that's not you. But I think all those things hinge on what he says in verse 15, that you live the kind of life that is consistent and is righteous so that others come and ask, and then you're ready to talk. You're ready to explain to them why you believe what you believe. And if you've told someone about Jesus, you've told someone about salvation, you've told them about the church, then you know what you can do when you walk away from that conversation? Whether they obey the gospel or not. Because you can't force anyone to obey the gospel. But if you've told them about the hope of Jesus, you've told them about what, how precious it is to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, you can leave that conversation with a clean conscience. This brings us to the very last thing we want to say, just, just for a minute. What Paul's going to emphasize all throughout 2 Timothy is the necessity of passing on our faith. We hear a great deal 
these days about the, the shrinking of Christianity. Across the spectrum, our denominational neighbors are struggling with numbers getting smaller. And the, the statistics seem to be saying that the group labeled the nuns, N-O-N-E. What is your religion? None. That, that category seems to be growing. And those who seek to be identified with the church of Jesus seems to be shrinking. And so you know what that means? You know what that necessitates? That necessitates a group of people like these in this room today, like those watching online this minute. That necessitates a group of people who are saying, not on my watch. Paul was influenced by his family. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. My ancestors serve God, and thus that's an influence on me. According to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul was raised from a very early start to be a close defender of the law of Moses. That was his passion. He knew the law of Moses was from God, and he wanted to make sure everyone that was within his reach, that they all followed it too. And Paul knows that Timothy was influenced by his family. He says there in verse 5, started with your grandmother and then there it was in your mother and he says and now i know it's in you too this faith that matters this faith that causes you to have hope this faith that changes your life grandmother mother you you know sometimes that can be kind of hard because reading between some of the lines what's written in the book of acts timothy's dad didn't seem to obey the gospel but his mama did Grandma did, and they instilled it in him, and he became someone who was powerful in the faith and helped change the lives of others. Here's what we need to recognize. Christianity, the religion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Christianity is a taught religion. It's not inherited. And the reason I emphasize that is because the children of Israel inherited their faith. Now, of course, they still had to be obedient. We all understand that. But by birth, they were part of the covenant people. That's not the case with Christianity. We have to be taught who Jesus is. We have to be taught what he demands. We have to willingly and knowingly enter his kingdom by his grace and mercy. And so there's a premium placed on teaching. Look at chapter 2, verse 2 here. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. He says, what you've heard from me, Timothy, in the presence of, of many witnesses, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. Here's your job. Here's your responsibility and your obligation. Entrust that message you've already heard. You entrust that to faithful men. In other words, you take what you've heard and you share it with others. And you know what they're going to have to do? They will then be able to teach others also. So 2 Timothy 2, 2. Timothy, you take what you've heard from me and you give it to someone else. And then they're to give it to someone else who gives it to someone else who gives it to someone else. There's a responsibility put on teaching the pure, true, unchanging gospel. Go over to chapter 4, look at verse 2. Here's the exhortation, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You know, I've always heard, I guess it was Brother Marshall Keeble who said the first time, preach it in season and out of season. You preach it when they want to hear it, you preach it when they don't want to hear it. You just preach it. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's an obligation that elders have. There's an obligation that, that Bible class teachers have. There's certainly an obligation that, that preachers have to pass on the faith to others who can then pass it on as well. 
Read with me in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. Look what it says about elders. 1 Timothy 3, just read verse 2. Therefore, let an overseer. Overseer is a word synonymous with elder, bishop, pastor. So this is the terminology. It's talking about like Tommy Gum and, and Jackie Perkins and Scott Bradford, Leland Glass, our elders here. The elders, the pastors, the bishops, the overseers. It's all talking about the same group. He says, let an overseer be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectful, hospitable, and here's the last one, apt, able, excited about, willing to teach. Teaching matters. Go over to Titus chapter 1. He's not finished saying the, something similar. Go to Titus 1, look at verse 9. Titus 1.9, speaking of the pastor, the elder, the overseer. Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why? Why does he have to hold firm to the trustworthy word, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Because things are ugly out there. Look at verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate empty talkers deceivers especially those with the circumcision party and they must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach pastors elders teachers bible class teachers preachers and ministers there's a heavy weight placed there because the Lord expects the truth to be taught to his people. Now families, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, any of those in position to be in some type of authority place over younger generations. The Lord expects us, the Lord demands of us that we be passing on the faith to those coming after. So if you hear for at all me saying, now, only parents, listen to this next part. You've not heard me. He's going to emphasize talking about grandmother and mother, and he's going to emphasize the parental concept. But anyone who's in a position of authority over a younger generation, this applies to you. Look at chapter 3. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. We already read 2 Timothy 1.5. Lois, Eunice, and Timothy. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 3 at verse 14. As for you, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's, that's the word of God, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Going all the way back to Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 4. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, there's the emphasis given to parents. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're walking down the street, continually be passing on the law of the Lord that's been placed in your heart and put it in the hearts of your children. In Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 4, the Bible says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm gonna, I've been praying about this, so I'm going to pray that I get through it. First of all, seemingly to be humble, but I recognize I'm a huge failure. 
Parents, no matter what else you teach your kids, teach them science. They need to know it. Teach them math. They need to know it. But teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if that means a few less minutes out on the practice field. Nobody loves baseball and basketball and football more than I do. Nobody. I dare you to challenge me. You don't love it more than me. Maybe equal. Not more. A few minutes less on the field. A few minutes more praying. A few minutes more talking about what God is and what God does, who He is, what He thinks of us, what He wants from us. The requirement you've been given, parents, is to bring your children up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. We're to teach it. We're to model it. See, remember I said I'm a failure. I can teach it all day long. I know the Word of God. I too rarely live the Word of God when it comes to being a parent. Teach it. Model it. And make it something to where your children see that you love the Lord in a way that's manifested and demonstrated in worship. Let's end with this. Go to Psalm 78 and we'll be finished. Go to Psalm 78. We're going to read eight verses here. The first eight verses of Psalm 78. And as we read it, I want you to read it with these glasses on, with these kinds of listening devices on. Open your heart in this kind of way. Read this from the position of what an authority figure is to do with a younger generation. So you're a grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, neighbor, parent. What's your responsibility? Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I'll utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we've heard and known. Things that our fathers have told us. We'll not hide them from their children. But tell them to the coming generation. Tell them what? The glorious deeds of the Lord. His might. The wonders that he's done. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn arise and tell them to their children that they should set their hope in God and that they should not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. That they should not be like their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So just oversimplification, let me make three observations from this passage. There's a responsibility of parents to teach. In verse 5 here, it says they are commanded to teach the children the law of the Lord. And the content of what they're to teach, look at verse 4. They are to teach the next generation. They're to teach their children the glorious deeds and the wonders that God has done. They're to teach their children how powerful God is. In short, we're to tell the truth about God, meaning who He is, what He's done, what He will do. We must tell what He demands. But here's the goal. The goal is not mere transformation of information. 
It's not just, I'll take some information from my head and put it in your head. The goal, according to verse 7, is confidence in God. The goal, according to verse 7, is having a true hope in God. The aim, like I said, is not just content transfer. It's deep confidence. Our aim as parents is not merely to stock our kids' heads with knowledge, but to inspire their hearts to worship the God they can count on, the God who loves them, the God who they need to love and praise. That's our responsibility. He said in 2 Timothy 1, I can live with a clear conscience, Timothy, and I want you to as well. He said, I know what your grandmother and your mother have done for you. I know the faith that resides in your heart, and I am calling on you to keep living with a clear conscience and to tell others about how to do so. Do you have a clear conscience this morning? If not, then let me call on you. Let me encourage you to repent and to be washed in the blood of the Lamb so you can have a clear conscience. Do you have a sincere faith that's seen in you and it's known by others? If not, then submit to the Lord. Listen to and believe His teaching and be changed by the living Word of God. If you've been doing your job of making sure that others know you're a person of faith, then God be praised. What would your last words be? Your last words need to be meaningful and they need to be helpful. What would you say? What would you convey? Well, what would be more powerful than to convey and to pass on the faith to someone else? That's what we're being called to do is pass on the faith that's resided in the ones that came before us so it'll reside in the ones who come after us. Praise God that He cares about us and loved us enough to send His son Jesus.